you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. You know, restaurants everywhere are talking about the labor shortage. Everyone is struggling with finding and keeping a great staff. Listen to this statistic. I heard recently at a big industry summit that the average tenure of a new restaurant employee is just four months. That means when you find this person and hire them, get them up to speed in the basics of the job, and then lose or fire them and have to replace them, it costs your restaurant somewhere between three and $4,000 in lost time, lost productivity, and money every time this happens. No restaurant can afford this. Well, in this episode, we've got a solution. I'm speaking with a former governor candidate and who's now heading up the Workforce Development Committee of Hospitality, Maine. I'm also pleased to be serving on this committee, so I've got a front row seat. This is an innovative solution to this problem no matter where your restaurant is located, so stay tuned. Before we start the podcast, I'd like to thank my friends at Cake. Cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and easy to use. It's simple, intuitive, cost-friendly, and designed to meet the demands of both quick and full-serve restaurants. Cake integrates online ordering and even waitlist management. With Cake Guest Manager, your guests can put themselves on your waitlist. Cake systems have actually increased guest counts by 25%. That's powerful. Support is just a phone call away. It's available 24-7, 365, and training includes Cake University. Cake is cloud-based, so you never lose contact even if the internet goes down. No wonder guest satisfaction is so high. Why not get a free demo at trycake.com forward slash rockstar. If you purchase Cake, you'll get $750 off activation. Now, running your restaurant can be a piece of cake. Check it out. Did you ever wonder why your place is empty, even though it's $5 burger night and your drinks are half price? You look across the street and your competitor's busy. What's going on? Well, the answer is social Wi-Fi, which uses your guest Wi-Fi as a marketing tool to increase sales. Here's how it works. When your customers log in using their cell phone, email, or social media account, you grow your database, and you can now reach these customers in seconds via text or email. Social Wi-Fi is proven marketing firepower with open rates to 95% and conversions of 30%. That means for every 100 customers that you text, potentially 30 of these will respond to your offer, come in, and become repeat customers. That's powerful. Wi-Fi technology solutions are tech spurts. For a limited time, they're offering unlimited texts at low monthly subscription rates. They provide everything you need, full tech support, and training. See for yourself at getwifitech.com forward slash rockstars. Now, on with the episode. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. Now, every state has its own restaurant association, and I'm al- I've always been an advocate of joining the association. Today, I'm speaking with Ms. Terry Hayes, and she is the Director of Workforce Development for Maine Hospitality. I'm sorry, Hospitality Maine. I got that backwards. Welcome to the show, Terry. How are you today? Thank you, Roger. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, I'm excited, and I know this is a topic that is really pressing right now anywhere in the country. You know, we're experiencing a labor shortage. Unemployment is very low. Restaurants everywhere are struggling with finding and keeping a great staff. So we're going to be speaking all about an innovative new program that Hospitality Maine has launched. It's all about an apprenticeship, and we think that it's got great merit in the future for all you know across the country for all the different state associations but nonetheless the audience the listener is going to gain a lot from uh, this opportunity and it might give you some new ideas on how you can find and keep a great staff so with that i always start the show terry with a backstory now interestingly last year you ran for governor in the state of maine what was that experience like for you it was an honor and a privilege roger um i've served in the legislature and served as state treasurer for four years prior to, well, prior to this, and um, just saw particularly workforce. I mean, Maine's challenge right now, significant challenge is demographics. We have, you know, we have over 12,000 job openings in the state of Maine right now and not enough people to fill them. And some of the people that we have aspire to roles that they're not trained for. So I saw workforce as as the the number one motivator for me that really wanted to be Maine's governor in order to shine the light on that so that we could both um, build talent within existing Mainers, but welcome folks who want to participate in our economy from around the globe, as well as across the country. And so my and I was I'm an independent. I was not a member of a political party, and it was it truly was an honor and a privilege. It was an 18 month long job interview with about 500,000 people, and we did it all positive, nothing, no negative ads, um, and it was a learning experience. I, I learned a lot. I'm not sure why I need to know all that at this point, but um, I don't regret it for a moment. That puts it all in perspective. You had an 18-month job interview with 500,000 people making that decision. So it's pretty amazing um, what an experience that was for you. But interestingly, you had a noble goal at that time that you just mentioned, and it has all come full circle now with your role at Hospitality Maine. So I think that's tremendous because you've got so much to offer the organization, and we've come so far in just a few months uh, with this program. Now, you and I actually attended a summit last November, a hospitality industry summit, and it was quite disconcerting for me to actually hear the statistics that the average tenure of a new restaurant employee is just four months. And, you know, it's been several years since I ran restaurants, and a long, long time ago, I had this problem finding and keeping a great staff, and I was able to overcome that challenge through many innovative programs, but 
that statistic really struck home. And I spoke to so many different restaurant owners and general managers and operators at that summit. And the common thread was we're hiring anyone with a pulse. If we can get anybody, we're just hiring them. And that was so alarming to me because that clearly has a short term, you know, solution to a much bigger problem that's just going to, you know, sort of come back to get you because the guest experience is going to suffer and the quality of the service is going to suffer. And to bring this point home, when you lose somebody after hiring them and you train them, get them up up to speed in the job, and then you lose that person within four months and then you have to replace them, we learned that it costs the restaurant somewhere between three and $4,000 in lost time, productivity, and wages. And no restaurant can, can afford that. So, you know, we need a whole new approach. And that's why this, this approach is such a fresh perspective. So we're talking about an apprenticeship program here that has lined up employers and apprentices. And now we're finding, you know, work study and different people going into the, into the workplace that have existing skills. And we're developing those skills and hopefully creating long-term hospitality and restaurant employees here. So with that said, Terry, why don't you take us through, you know, the whole program and how it began and the steps that led to the place we're at now and, you know, how the program's really working, if, if you can do that. Sure. Well, I first should explain um, for your viewers that Hospitality Maine is a relatively new organization. Previ- prior to 2018, there was the rest- separate restaurant association. That's and- right. Association in Maine. And when they merged in 2018, um, uh, the, the, the top of the to-do list was challenging, was, was to confront this challenge around workforce development. So most of your viewers will be more interested in the line cook entry-level um, apprenticeship position, but there is a second track that we've developed for hospitality services in order to address exactly what you're saying in both pieces of the hospitality industry in Maine. Roger, I'd like to share my screen, if I may, um, and and show a couple of slides to your viewers. So let's make sure I get this right. We do share, we do present, and we, here we go. Look at that. Perfect. Um, I, I like to introduce what we're doing with this particular slide because I think it puts Hospitality Maine's efforts in focus. Maine has the smallest apprenticeship program in the country. Our apprenticeship program is um, sanctioned by the Federal Department of Labor and is run in the Maine Department of Labor. And you'll see the numbers there on the screen. Statewide, 103 approved sponsors. Those are work sites in most instances. 44 of them don't have an apprentice at present. 25 have one apprentice, which might be exactly the right number for that business. Only um, 15 have 10 or more apprentices, and you'll see the largest one um, host is Chimbra, which is a very large uh, construction company headquartered in Maine that services construction projects all the way up and down the East Coast. Hospitality Maine is one of the 103 sponsors with 31, now 32 different host sites. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, two different tracks, line cook and hospitality services. And our goal is to register more than 30 apprentices before the end of June. Now, I want you, the overall goal is there in that bottom uh, purple block that says building a sustainable talent supply chain for Maine's hospitality industry. 
other thing your viewers may uh, may not understand is that hospitality is the second largest industry by revenue generation in the state of Maine. First being healthcare, but the second is hospitality. There are only a hundred and excuse me, 1.3 million people who live in Maine, and we take care of, entertain, and welcome over 30 somewhere between 30 and 37 million people a year, much of them during the high season. So this, this program is designed to be a feeder system that will welcome untrained individuals who have an interest in uh, developing a career in hospitality and allow them to learn what they need to do to be successful while they're earning a living. And, and it creates some real um, loyalty, if you will, and stick to so that the, the problem that you shared earlier of, you know, the turnover and the churn in uh, kitchen staff, hopefully this will help address that. That's our intent, is that, that the employer is making more than, than a wage commitment to the apprentice. You know, apprenticeship is one of the oldest forms of learning a trade that exist in human history. And, and, and we see it, you know, we, I think it's lost its efficacy over time. And, and this is a resurgence and an opportunity for us to, to teach people the skills we need them to have for their success and at the same time allow them to earn a living. And, you know, we promote it here uh, to Mainers as a career path without a college debt. Um, I'd like to take from this slide and go to, um, th this explains how the program is set up. Um, the Department of Labor is at the top of this diagram, at the main Department of Labor. When, when, when I started in early February, the concept was approved, but no portions of it were operational. And there had been some work done on the um, the schedule of work. So, what are the competencies that it, that a line cook apprentice should have at the end of their one year apprenticeship, the first leg of their career path? That work ha had uh, been done by a committee of volunteer uh, restaurant members of the association, but there hadn't been anything else to make the program operational. How do we sign restaurants up? How do you know what 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 are those um, Proprietors need to know if they're going to host an apprentice and so forth. So we put this together in February where Hospitality Maine is in that center blue box and everything yes. blue mm -hmm. is what the association does. If you think about this, to for an employer to participate directly with the Department of Labor in an apprenticeship as an apprenticeship host, there's an awful lot of uh, bureaucracy that they would have to become familiar with and manage. And by using the association as the um, overall of the umbrella sponsor, I take care of the bureaucratic stuff so that the member businesses who choose to participate can focus on their real value add. I don't have, we don't have an apprenticeship program without hosts that are willing to teach people on the job. So the focus was how do we make it as easy as possible for our, our restaurant members who want to host one or more apprentices to do that part? What are their 
what's the real value proposition that the restaurant brings to the to the system and how do we clear everything as much as we can out of the way so that they can focus on doing that piece um, so I've worked with the Department of Labor um, helping them develop some uh, forms that are you know available online digitally fillable uh, you know one page you know, get what we need. And then I take care of training the business members. Typically that so far that's been a one-on-one format. Um, but we're going to be setting up more um, regional meetings to do it, at, at, you know, in groups, if you will come in the fall. Um, but so my job it was to figure out how to make the program operational, get it set up on our website, do in help, with internal and external promotion. And and that you'll see on the right-hand side of the chart that I've listed talent sources. You know, I know you've spent a lot of time in the field, Terry. You've traveled across the state, uh, you know, speaking with people that uh, represent these talent sources, trying to figure out, okay, how can we employ some of the people in these different, you know, schools and Department of Corrections? So I'm glad you're talking about that now. Tell us about, you know, what that process was like and who these talent sources are. Well, there are uh, some of them are uh, working with youth. So you know the our, if we're if we're about a sustainable talent supply chain, we need to be communicating with young people in Maine that there are career opportunities in hospitality, and that that they can not only earn a living but support a family in this industry, and we can help them um, skill up or upskill, if you will. Um, so we, so some of them, some of these talent sources are dealing with young people. Some of them are dealing with um, veterans and folks that have some experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like, as I said earlier, we, we have, we have a limited population base and we need everybody who can contribute to our economy to participate in it. So I've done, I mean, I know, so far, Roger, I've lived in Maine all of my life. So I've spent more than 60 years kicking around here. And, and with only 1.3 million folks, I know a lot of people already connected with these different talent sources. And I've reestablished those connections and introduced them to the program that we've developed. I've spoken to the young people themselves, to administrators of these different programs. And all of it is designed to, you know, nobody, regardless of their age, can see themselves in a role that they're not aware of. So I'm trying to increase awareness of this opportunity to find folks that may be passionate about about food and feeding others and and give them this opportunity should they choose to do it. So I'm out there in a broader context, making sure that all of these different um, potential sources of talent are aware so that this is one of the options in front of the the folks that are uh, working there. That's wonderful. And I'm sure you can tell us some stories. I won't ask you them, of course, but in meeting with these people, some that you know and some that you don't know, I think the support has been pretty strong and that people immediately got, you know, the connection between what they can help achieve by joining this program. Is that correct? It absolutely is. They've been very welcoming. Um, you know, I mean, I've learned some things that I wasn't aware of. Maine's Department of Corrections puts back into the community over 1,200 um, 
people every year. And it's in all of our best interests for those people to be, uh, you know, to, to have a vocation to go to, to, to have work. And we've actually worked with the Department of Corrections to have um, folks who are incarcerated begin their um, apprenticeship while they're in mm-hmm. will, then to do some work release. And, right. and to do that, they have to be hired by one of our members. And the idea being, if we can provide a seamless employment opportunity for them once they're released from Department of Corrections custody, they're more likely to be successful. And again, there's a there's a commitment that an employer has made. So this individual is not out there on their own at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are, Wonderful. We've got three different locations that we're working on. One is up and running. The other two we expect to be, you know, that's just an example. So what I find is that that our interests intersect really nicely. You know, Maine's um, career and technical education high schools, they want their graduates who've had some classroom training at the very least you know, to to move on and continue to explore that career path. They can do that in this program, as I said earlier, without, you know, a significant amount of college debt. You know, the Bureau of Vocational Rehabilitation within the Department of Labor is working with Mainers who have who who may require some kind of accommodations in the workplace, but have something to offer that, you know, can participate. And so we're, we're, we're working with some of their counselors. I'm actually doing a presentation for their statewide staff next week so that they can understand what this opportunity consists of and how some of their clients um, might, uh, might benefit from an opportunity to apply and participate. And, and, you know, their needs vary, you know, dramatically, um, New Mainers is a pretty exciting. We, Maine, Maine has a relatively small immigrant community, but it's been growing. And you know, I investigated some some learn on the job uh, language instruction that can really help um, international immigrants, you know, participate more fully in our economy sooner. So uh, we're all over the board, but I, I am. These touch points become really important because you'll notice at the bottom, we're looking for folks to refer potential applicants and back to the member businesses. Um, and that that is a particularly rewarding part of the job. And, and as you'll see at the top of this slide, we had a goal at, in February that by the end of April, we would have 30 plus member businesses signed up. At the time I made this slide, we had 31. As I said earlier, we now have 32. And now we're focused on, on having apprentices in each of those, um, op- at least one in each of those opportunities by the end of June. You briefly mentioned earlier with the Department of Corrections that some of the candidates obviously had worked on the inside in the, you know, in the kitchens and whatnot. So they have some experience. Is that a primary requisite for an apprentice to have some basic experience before they actually um, take part as an apprentice? Because I know mentoring is, is a big part of this and, you know, the, the host site in some cases needs to train and, and, you know, sort of monitor performance. But can you explain to the audience how much experience is either required or, you know, the people coming into the program have? Well, it's interesting. the The only requirements for the program itself, because I'm I'm not vetting applicants. 
our individual employers, our host employers, mm-hmm. will um, entertain the, you know, get the applications and screen the applicants. So I would say that could vary from one employer to the next. Yes. But the program itself, um, we expect individuals to um, be at least 16 years old. Um, they, if they don't have a high school um, uh, credential, then um, we expect them to work to acquire their high school credential as part of this program. Um, we want them to have a passion for food. You know, this is the, the, what motivates them to want to work in this industry. Um, and, and, and I would say a curiosity, but prior experience is not anticipated. In fact, when hosts take on, you know, agree to that role, they recognize that the people that they're looking for don't necessarily know, uh, don't have the skills that they need. And they know coming into it that they don't have the skills and that learning those skills is really the focus. Definitely. The idea is to, is to groom them, mentor them, teach them. You know, this is, this is 2,000 hours of on-the-job training and only, you know, 145 hours of classroom time mm-hmm. in context of a calendar year, if you think about it that way. Right. The bulk of the learning happens in the workplace. And I would say that our host employers recognize that they're hiring unskilled but enthusiastic, you know, good at the soft skills. Can You can be here on time. You can be 100% present. You're um, – you know that you're learning and you're tracking your 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 progress, um, but they're not necessarily have any culinary skills before they come into the program. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key point here. It's all about the approach that the person has towards the opportunity, um, you know, their personality, their passion for a career in this industry, of course, and a willingness to learn and be a reliable employee. And that's the basics right there. But I mean, you'd, you'd want to find these people all day long because that's the foundation of our business moving forward. Right. And Roger, I want to point out before we leave this slide that yeah. that I've put the, the, the high points on the member business box there on the left. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, the, the employer is making the, is making the decision. I'm not vetting anybody or pre-assessing um, them. But once the employer hires an individual and offers them the opportunity to be an apprentice, then we look at, do they have any prior learning or prior work experience? Because an apprenticeship is designed by definition to reduce the hoop jumping for both the employer and the applicant. So if they already have some of the skills, we give them credit for those skills because we don't, we don't need to teach them that. Um, if they don't have, then we teach them, we go through the entire curriculum. So some that come, Again, we, we want to focus on what skills they need to acquire once we're able to determine that they have some of them. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that, that the on-the-job hours is listed as a range from 2,000 to 4,000. We know that some people may take longer, and if the employer is, is committed to that, this could take up to two years, but we anticipate the vast majority of um, apprentice applicants that are hired could do this, uh, the program in a one-year full-time. Um, they are every apprenticeship 
provides an opportunity for a, at least one raise during the course of the apprenticeship, and that's determined by the individual employer at the time the program is set up, you know, at the time the individual, the um, employee become officially becomes an apprentice. And the certificate that a successful apprentice acquires is a national certification. It, it truly is a standards-based diploma, if you will, because one, the apprentice can show you from the schedule of work exactly what their competencies are at the, upon completion of the program. And there's a fairly faint um, figure between the Hospitality Maine, um, you know, the work, my, my role as development director yes. at a number of businesses where the education piece is listed. We anticipate we're working on curriculum with our community college system as well as um, – Looking at some, we we have a geographic challenge here, Roger, which is kind of fascinating. I told you before, I have 32 host businesses. That That's right. And the geography runs over 220 miles uh, between them all, I mean, from north to south, if you will. So so we're looking for some um, online options mm. for portions of that classroom, you know, of, of, uh, of the education hours. Uh, in order to accommodate the geographic diversity of our uh, apprenticeship pool. This is very um, interesting, and I'm glad you brought up the community college piece because uh, months ago I went to Southern Maine Community College and I toured their culinary program and their facilities, and I saw how committed the students were. And, you know, obviously they looked very professional. They're wearing their chef's whites, and I saw them prepping food, and I saw them baking and it was really wonderful just to see. And I know that, you know, many of them are apprenticeship candidates. So that's a really positive thing because those people are developing their skill sets on a daily basis and then giving them an opportunity to go into a live restaurant or a hotel operation setting and actually practice those skills is just a tremendous boost to their egos, their careers, their confidence, and their skill sets. So I think that's a tremendous piece of the program. Let me ask you, Terry, is this an ongoing program, meaning um, is there a start and stop time? Or if the program has already started and then a new an employer hears about it and says, I could use an apprentice and I have a position open, can I join at any time? Or do I have to wait until next year to start again? Explain how that works. Actually, I would call it a rolling admissions, both for- Rolling admissions, okay. Both for employer host sites as well as apprentices. I mentioned before that- um, that our hospitality industry is the second largest industry in the state of Maine. And although many of our visitors come in the high season, you know, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, there are still, uh, you know, millions who come year round. So uh, this is not something that can run on an academic calendar. We need to be prepared to, um, to, to welcome, if you will, the, the, host job sites as well as apprentices year round. And that's the way, that's the way it works. We're not looking for a cohort. That's why I said geographically, I can't, um, I I couldn't even do that. You know, we want to, we're going to make this as we build it out, we're going to make it fit to the people who need it, which are our employers and the apprentices. And they're not all in any one geographic area in Maine. 
You know, one of the particular challenges that we have here in Maine, I mean, you mentioned how, you know, tourism and hospitality is really number two, but it's huge and we have such a huge need for for staffing. But one of the particular challenges that we have are the kids that go back to college in, you know, late August when the season hasn't really finished yet. And suddenly, you know, we get crushed with people starting in, you know, mid to end of June and tourists come into the state by the millions and millions. And then we have the high summer season. And then all of a sudden, by the end of August, employers are losing so many people that are going back to school. And now suddenly we still have to serve all these people and serve them well. But now we're at a lack of, of, you know, of staff to adequately serve them. So I know other states have that challenge too. I'm wondering how this program may benefit, you know, at that time where someone says, oh, I could use somebody in the kitchen now or, you know, or even a hotel. I don't want to, you know, isolate it between restaurants because hotels have this challenge as well. Well, you know, we, we, we used an anticipatory calendar in setting up the program. As I said, I, I came on board in early February, and we were determined to be operational by the end of April you know, in terms of the, you don't have an apprenticeship program unless you have host sites. So we needed to, we, we knew we had members who were enthusiastic and were looking for, forward to this opportunity, but we had to start there so that when we wanted to have these opportunities available so that as May and June, when the colleges, you know, are getting done and the high schools are getting done for the summer, that there would be opportunities for young people who wanted to pursue this. Because you don't want to hire an apprentice in August to meet the need that you just described. Unless exactly. You're August 1st, because mm-hmm. they're going to be at the front end, assuming that they don't have any prior experience, they're going to require some resources for the training before they can really add the value that the restaurant owner needs them to add. Of course. So, so we're looking at this from with that calendar perspective, anticipating that these people who step into the apprenticeship role are not going back to college because we are their college, because the bulk of their learning is going to happen on the job. And so the academic calendar becomes irrelevant to them, Okay they're going to work straight through their downtime and their court, the coursework that we will, that we will have for them will be ready and available to them. Like at the end of October, when, when that crush of that has, I mean, again, we still have visitors, but, but it's a significantly smaller, um, um, you know, the fire hose has been turned down a bit. Yes, this is true. So there's an, uh, there opportunity. We, we will make sure that their education doesn't conflict with the high need times, you know, mm-hmm. on the work site, because we're recognizing that the bulk of what they're learning is happening on the job. So that really is the most important classroom, if you will, if you look at this as a systemic approach, and we need to respect that. Um, so my expectation is that as we build this program out, we will help address the challenge you identified in your question because because the students, if you will, their primary learning environment is actually on the job, so they won't be leaving in August. I see. When did the first apprentices actually go into the workplace and start, uh, you know, this program? We signed up our first apprentice in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, at in um, in Auburn, at, this was a hospitality services apprentice. Okay, yes. Signed up our first restaurant apprentice earlier this month in May. 
um, at Gather in. Yes. I was speaking to the owner, uh, Matt Chappell. We actually interviewed Matt a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and we were talking a little bit about that. And so far, it's working very well for him. Are you receiving uh, feedback from the host businesses and from the participating, you know, sources of talent right now on, you know, the preliminaries and how things have gone, what's gone smoothly and, you know, feedback on improvement? I mean, has that been part of the program so far, too? It will be. Uh, right now, we're really focused on making sure that there are applicants so that our okay. um, have candidates to choose from. The other thing we've stressed with our members is that you identified this earlier, Roger, the, um, the churn rate. If, if we have a member that already has a staff person that they value but that is underskilled, Yes. They can offer this opportunity to an existing um, member of their staff, uh, and and we are encouraging them to look at it that way as a means of again providing the, the skill down the road, but at the same time uh, generating some loyalty because the business is making a, a stronger commitment to that individual uh, by uh, allocating resources to their training, and what we're expecting. Like I said, I I don't we have. Um, we turned our focus in at the beginning of May on from signing up businesses to really uh, generating applicants um, for the positions because now I had a list. Um, I could show people what the opportunities were. I'm, I'm wondering what I'd like to do if, if it would work out okay with you is again, share my screen and poke a little bit around our website so folks can see what kind what that looks like to a potential applicant. Yes, please. I think it's appropriate at this time to do so. All right, gotta put my glasses on so I can see what I'm doing. <laughs> Please, thank you. Okay, now share. And here we go. Uh, uh, Roger, this is uh, this is a um, hospitality mains website, and there's a button on the on the home page. Just uh, it's just hospitalitymain.com, and this is the home page. And I click on apprentice program here, and this is what comes up. This website is designed specifically for uh, providing more information to the uh, potential apprentice than it is to the employer. So we're promoting it's an earn while you learn. Um, As I scroll down, you'll see that the two different tracks are listed there and there are are links, you know, what, what are the benefits to the employee and, you know, we want them to see why might I want to do this? Well, look, you know, you, you, again, it's not costing you money you're earning you get a nationally recognized certification it's a career path without student debt increased job security you know trying to point those things out um and but you know participating restaurants this is where once an individual is poked around the website this is where they can go see well who's looking where might i apply and each of these are members of hospitality maine that is the the one significant requirement for a restaurant to participate. This is a member service. The, mm-hmm. the association and its members through their dues and fundraising are paying f- to put make this available. So, so we're looking for members, but you'll notice like Black Point Inn is in Scarborough, Maine, but then you've got the Bradley Inn up in New Harbor, Gather, as I indicated, that's where we have an apprentice there now. My hometown. <laughs> Gagan's Pub is in Bangor. Now here, Governor's is a is a family owned yes. um, 
uh, chain in a sense of five different locations, all five are listed. But I show you, as you see this, each of these, we have a link to the website for the restaurant. Beautiful, yes. Look at how slick this is. If you want to apply a governor, you click on the click here and you go right down through, oh, I want to be a cook, you know, and you they can apply right online. It's fantastic. I mean, this is such a bridge to making the whole program work. And it is, it's very slick how you've set this up and very simple and easy to understand as well. And that was our intent. You know, there are, and so as, as different um, hosts come online, we simply add them. We're listing them alphabetically here, but we recognize if this program builds out the way we intend um, and, 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 and we're hoping this structure will change dramatically and, and we will list um, geographically like municipalities or, you know, greater Portland area and have multiple, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we won't necessarily do it because it'd be too long to scroll through a whole list. I mean, ideally we are anticipating having as many as, as even 150 um, host sites by this time next year. Oh yeah. It's just going to gain momentum as word of the program spreads and the successes are shared as well. Precisely. So, but but what I what it's important for your viewers to understand is we're still at the we're still at, we're beyond a little bit beyond launch phase. Yes. But, but part of the challenge is again building up a, a acknowledgement and recognition that this opportunity exists. So so we're we're looking at at it as a pilot of thirty. And trying to, we're, you know, I love uh, my, uh, Steve Hewins, who is the, the president and CEO of the association here, my boss. You know, what, the way we describe this together is that we're, we're going to skin our knees a time or two because mm-hmm. we're, we're in uncharted waters, you know, and, and we're learning while we're doing and we're getting better at this as we go. No question. Uh, so I just wanted to show that, you know, we've put my contact information here. Really, if there's an employer or a member business, uh, we want them to contact me. We, we have put um, some of the forms and stuff are available. So it's just a matter of clicking through. Like mm-hmm. I thought I'd show you, take just a minute and show you that, that the schedule of work, like what will a line cook apprentice learn? I was interested to see this. Thank you for sharing. Sure. Well, and, and this is the, this is the, um, the exact document that the Department of Labor has approved. So, you know, an applicant can page down through this and take a look at, well, what am I going to learn? And, and you'll notice that the hours are listed mm-hmm. in that first right-hand column, keeping track, because as I said, we, we, this could be anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 hours. Right. You know, you asked me earlier about prior experience. If someone does have some prior experience, you know, maybe their CTE program in their high school and they come in with the correct knife technique, if you see under D, basic food preparation, then their host employer can award them uh, time, essentially give them credit for having a peer, having that skill already so they don't have to be taught it on the job. But this goes down through the, the specific competencies, and then you'll see the um, the academic anticipation, what kind of hours and what the focus will be. That, again, we're looking at the community college and some other industry providers. So- now, this is a, a solid template, obviously, for the employer to follow as well as the apprentice to see what is going to be learned, and then those skills are going to be evaluated. 
Is there an opportunity for there to be a meeting of the minds between the apprentice and the host site or the mentor at the host site so that they mutually agree that this is what was learned and what was performed? Because, you know, this is the business of a thousand details and we're often called to jump in and put out daily fires and sometimes paperwork and documentation falls by the wayside. Unfortunately, that happens in this business. You know, I, I would like to see or, or think that that the program follows through the way it's designed to and that uh, the apprentice feels like they're getting a fair shake as well as the employer. Would you say that that's true or it's being designed to make sure that that doesn't occur? Well, what's really, what I've recently uh, became aware of is a wonderful app that actually that apprentices can use with their uh, provided supervision provided by their mentor assigned to them with me as the um, um, overarching sponsor having administrative access to it it's uh, it's it's a gem because it tracks all of that it tracks their their on the job learning it tracks it, it w- with um, uh, a monthly supervision provided by you know it's all done digitally so the the literally the apprentice can do it on their phone okay wonderful and then their supervisor can has to go in and, and approve the, the you know the monthly updates. They're doing they're logging their time, so there it has a time card component. It has a competency checklist. I'm sorry, I hit the wrong thing there. Um, I don't have. I this is we anticipate that um, literally within the next two weeks we will be using that app with all of our apprentices and continuing to add people. Um, but I just became aware of it. it. It addresses exactly the challenges you just described um, from the record keeping perspective. It's all done in the cloud. And, um, and it, so it validates it and it tracks it without anybody having to worry about losing a piece of paper or, you know, getting, sauce on it if you will um it it, i think it's gonna it's again it's another tool that diminishes the negative impact of the bureaucracy because there is a record keeping component of this and it's a really good example of using technology to make that task uh significantly easier and organized so the the individual apprentice will get a reminder to log their hours, you know, their time clock hours and their competencies on a weekly basis. They'll, if they don't do it, their supervisor will get a notification. It's seamless. And it it will, the company is called Work Hands, Work Hands. Uh, It's out of California. And it's uh, it it seems to be have all the things that we need to even track their education the education component pieces i'm going to write that down yeah work hands and um the yeah, i'm uh, right now i'm playing with it they've set me up as an apprentice so cuz i wanted to experience how it works as an apprentice and then they're giving me access again as the supervisor i want to make sure that that um when we adopt this platform for tracking that that I'm familiar enough with it that, uh, you know, I figure if I can handle it, an apprentice can handle it. Let me ask you a question, Terry. Let's just say uh, we've already talked about the 2,000 required hours or so on the job per se. 
What happens if an apprentice begins the program in one location and for whatever reason the fit isn't isn't good and that person thinks I could really succeed in this program if I was offered another position somewhere else or maybe they started a geographic location because you mentioned that you know we got 200 plus miles separating and right now it's a bit of a stretch for me to continue to go to this location then all of a sudden there's somebody really close to me that I really like to work at can apprentices you know jump around a little bit I mean I hate to use that term but you know what I'm saying is it possible to start in one and finish in another it is. Um, it is possible. It's, and there might be multiple reasons why it would happen. And one that you hadn't mentioned is seasonality. Okay, right. Of restaurants and um, mm-hmm. in, in Maine that are not open 12 months out of the year. Correct. So, um, so we're blessed because there has been a growing interest in um, outdoor winter activities in Maine. So we have we have folks on both ends of the spectrums, only open in the high season and others that may only be open or do the bulk of their business during the winter. So part of what we're looking to do is collaborate um, so that if we have an apprentice that starts working the high season on the coast, they could work, they could go to an, a participating host business on one of the mountains that are doing a ski and, and snowboarding and, you know, of course. Um, snowmobiling. Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes my job as the connector. If so in seasonality, we'd set that up and know that opportunity closer to the front end. If there's a fit challenge or a, a life experience that requires, maybe, maybe the apprentice um, is married and his spouse gets a new job and it's two counties away. Um, how, you know, the whole idea is that mm-hmm. we would be the connector right. to, try to help identify. And if we didn't have a host location, who are our members in that area that might be interested in being a host location to let them to, to facilitate them finishing. And I want to stress too, Roger, the, the, the uh, competencies and, and the form that I showed for the line cook, that's just the entry level. We're going to be building out subsequent pieces so that a career truly is a possibility, you know, working all the way through to, to possibly being, you know, the head chef. But how long will that take? Well, we're going we're gonna to find ways. We're going to map that together with our early adopters. We, like I said, this is a sustainable talent supply chain. It's not just an entry-level fix. And that's a great point you're making because this is, of course, an industry and a business that someone can start washing dishes and become the head of a kitchen, a chef, just by learning on the job. You know, college educations aren't required. Formal training, per se, isn't required. But this is just a beautiful bridge to that as well. I mean, I have a particular story. My very first employee 25 years ago was a 15-year-old high school student, and he started working in our dish pit. He was a dishwasher, and within three weeks, he was closing our restaurant three nights a week, sending the credit card batch. And then he took a real interest in learning. And I kind of took him under my wing and he stayed with us for about 15 years, starting out at age 15. And he worked his way up and he managed two of my kitchens. And then when he left, he started his own restaurant. So that's what's possible in this business. And it's just inspiring. And we're talking about very similar opportunities that we're giving these apprentices to find a passion, develop a skill set, 
gain real hands-on experience in a real live work setting, and then just move on from there. And this, this job, this career, this industry can take you all over the world in just amazing, amazing places and opportunities. You know, you can become a private chef on a, you know, on someone's multi-million dollar yacht or on a cruise line and go see the world. I mean, you can go anywhere. You can work in Europe. I don't need to tell you this, but that's what really inspires me to see a foundational program that starts at the ground level here, a real grassroots program. And the, the impact that we can make for both the employer and the student is, you know, and the apprentice is just an amazing thing. And you're at the heart of that. So, you know, kudos to you, Terry, for putting this whole thing together and for spearheading the program. Oh, it's been my pleasure. You know, I like to say, learn here, go anywhere, you know, yes. absolutely that's right. Although in terms of the needs of our industry in Maine, we'd like you to wait a little while before you go. Yeah, we want you to stay in this state. I shouldn't give people the wrong idea. But at the same time, you know, the economies um, ebb and flow and and are impacted by a lot of things that we don't have any, you know, individual control over. Mm -hmm. You think about it, Roger, people need to eat everywhere. Yes. They need to eat everywhere. Hospitality is everywhere. It takes mm-hmm. different forms, but it's everywhere. So, uh, you know, it's it's never going to become old fashioned. Never. We're going to need to eat as long as we exist as a species. So, uh, you know, it's and I think uh, we've had maybe as a culture we've undervalued the skill set, and this is an opportunity to help professionalize it to help people really see that that um, it's. You know, I used to say you can you can go to the same restaurant seven days a week and order the same entree for 15 years and you just still don't have the first clue on how to cook it. You know, this is true. Where, to, where to source the ingredients from, how to combine them to have that experience. So, you know, I, I think it gives us an opportunity to add, a, you know, a, a more professionalism to the, the, this industry as well. Absolutely. I think you're touching on that key point. I mean, in the last, you know, five, 10 years or so, I mean, the chef status has been elevated to such a high degree. And there's so many different cooking shows and celebrity chefs are just known for, you know, reality TV brought that to life. But really, this career can, you know, turn you into a rock star in this business. And I use that term because obviously, this is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, after all. Well, you know, it, it, it is truly, it's an art form. It's an art form. And, it is. And, you know, just as we teach, you know, when, when folks have a passion for, you know, the, the visual arts, there is a methodology that we use to start them and then to upskill them over time. But what we're doing that with, with food and, and food creativity and nutrition and all of it. I mean, it's exciting for me because, you know, I've told people for years, I'm, I'm not a terribly good cook, but I'm a really good eater. And I love growing those opportunities. And, you know, yes. Maine has a growing reputation as a foodie destination. And this is part of making sure that we can sustain that over time, as I said, and have that, have that talent supply chain with enthusiasm and, and using, using the talent that's already here to teach and grow the next generation of leaders in this industry. Definitely. I mean, you're making another good point. Maine is definitely a foodie destination that has been internationally recognized um, over and over again. And we have such amazing talent here in this state and just such unique restaurants of all culinary persuasions. So I don't want to spend too much focus on the culinary side. Do you want to also talk about the hospitality side a little bit as well and the lodging piece? Sure. The 
The curriculum for, for that program is more of a, um, I would call it more of a sampler, meaning that um, we want to introduce individuals that are interested in that side of the business to the various um, components of providing, you know, a quality um, lodging experience to guests. So we're everything Definitely. from, from uh, you know, front desk to guest services to housekeeping to the back room, you know, um, um, accounting, you know, back office functions. Um, you know, we want them to, to, to see that it's maybe more complicated than it looks. If, if your only experience in, in the lodging industry has been as a guest, I think we, we may underappreciate everything that goes into the quality of that experience. Um, so we want them to, to have a meaningful opportunity to experience each part of that uh, um, for the, you know, in the facility where they're working. And, and, the, and then um, with an opportunity at the end of that year, then again, we're going to be building out m- a multiple, you know, like three or four different tracks. If they want to go into, you know, the whole guest services piece, then we'll, that'll be the next leg. If they want to do event planning and promotion, that would be another one. You know, groundskeeping and maintenance, you know, which is a huge need and, and a, an entirely different skill set, if you think about it. Um, Definitely true. So I'm going to be working with with our members who have been the early adopters, you know, the folks that have signed up and are hosting apprentices now. When we get in, you know, a little bit later into the calendar part of this year, I'll be turning to them to say, what do you need next? You know, where and, and building out those pieces. Sounds like there's a bit of built-in job security here, Terry, because this can continue to move forward in so many different directions and you're going to be instrumental in all of it. Well, you know, I feel like I'm I'm a connector. You know, I don't I don't necessarily I don't certainly don't possess the skills that even some of our entry level um, apprentices are going to acquire. But it's a matter of of figuring out what resources do we need to bring to bear to generate the outcomes that we want. And and my job is to is to pull those is is to ask the right questions. I don't I I love the work because I'm not expected to know the answers. <laughs> You know, I'm, um, it's asking the right questions and putting the right people and resources together in order to get the outcome. Um, and so for me, it, you know, it, it, it feeds me in more ways than one. <laughs> that's, that's tremendous. Let me ask you finally, Terry, about the credential or the certificate that an apprentice receives at the completion of the program. What form is it in? Does it describe everything that the person learned throughout that period of time? And, you know, this is something that they can take with them when they, when they wish to move on with their career and whatnot. And it's a, it's a great, you know, connector to that next employer to understand exactly what this person has to offer in, in, you know, conjunction with a resume. Does it include all of that information or tell me about that? Well, the certificate itself, it looks more like a diploma. Okay. Document that comes from signed by um, the individual who's the responsible for and for executing Maine's um, apprenticeship program which is currently is Joan Dolan, um, and uh, identifies the uh, employer, assuming there was one, there more than one if it took more than one employer to finish. Of course, yes. It identifies that. and But the, uh, the way a future employer would know is the apprentice would share the schedule of work, that, that document, that three-page document we screwed. Right. That was very impressive. 
So though that data is not directly on the certificate, mm-hmm. but the apprentice will be encouraged, will be provided a clean copy of that. Right. Here, here's, here's part of your dossier. Here's what you take, your portfolio. Good. You know, that you can, so they can share those details. A little bit of career coaching there. Yes. Well, uh, uh, that's the, so the certificate itself doesn't list all of those pieces. Of course. Work documents it. Excellent. Well, it's been wonderful. Have we missed anything, Terry? Is there anything else you'd like to share about the program? We've covered a lot of ground today. Well, you know, um, no, and I have fun sharing it. I, I, I don't have any prior experience in this industry other than as a consumer. Well, I say that. I did make egg McMuffins when I was in high school. Oh, you did? No kidding. I did, yes, in, in South Portland, Maine, over by the mm-hmm. Maine Mall. And then right. for a season, for a winter season, when we were young married couple, I worked at what used to be Happy Jack's restaurant in Lewiston, waiting tables. Absolutely loved it. It was, it was fun for me. It was the only job I didn't take anything home except for cash, <laughs> you know, um, but other than that, you know, I never in, in you know, as I've, I've not been in, involved in the education piece of this, and I'm finding this fascinating. It's very rewarding. I feel like, like we've we've caught on to a way to do this that makes it easier for host employers. So that screen that we started. You absolutely have done that. Yes. Yeah. You know, if, if, if there are only 103 work sites in Maine that are approved and, uh, and one of them has 32 host sites, imagine what we can do as we build this out. And, and other industries may learn from our example, too. So I'm, I'm grateful to be working on exactly what was motivating me in terms of my political aspirations, even though that didn't end the way I might have wanted. I'm having an opportunity to make an impact for Mainers, and I'm enjoying it immensely. Thank you. Let me ask you. Uh, are you motivated to run again in the future? Um, not on the radar screen at the moment. But anything's possible. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't rule anything out because who knows what will happen tomorrow or next year. But I don't have a specific plan to do that. I'm really focused on, on investing uh, my energies in this and, and making it work because, you know, I, if you think about this, our, our employment capacity across the state that's the revenue generator for the state. So definitely. So, so what we do with our workforce development is going to pay for everything else that we need. And so I want to make sure that we have resources in order for whoever is governor to be successful in meeting Mainers needs over time. Well, this is definitely a noble effort. And again, accolades for all the work you've done. And this is a tremendous, tremendous uh, you know, leap forward for the state of Maine. And I'll be happy to be sharing these, you know, best practices with my contacts in other state restaurant associations as well. So thanks for appearing on the show, Terry. That was a lot of fun and uh, a learning experience. Thank you, Roger. Um, I, and I would note that my contact information is on the website. If any of your viewers have other questions, they can feel free to email or call me. Okay. Thank you again for appearing. It's been my pleasure hosting you. I'm helping you see the difference between hiring and recruiting. You know, it's typical in this business for restaurants to just put the sign in the window, help wanted, put an ad in the paper. But unfortunately, that really is the wrong approach. You're just getting someone else's headaches, if you're getting anyone at all. But it's really about being creative and resourceful and recruiting and finding 
other people that are, you know, passionate about this business that may not have the skill set yet, but you give them an opportunity in your restaurant to be an apprentice. There's a lot of key nuggets of information in this episode, whether you're working with your state restaurant association or not, that you can implement in your own restaurant. So I'm hoping you found those key learnings. We're also really excited to announce that we have a brand new website at restaurantrockstars.com. We've simplified everything, and in addition to the blogs and the podcast episodes that are all archived there for you, we have just one system now called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy with multiple levels of membership, depending on what your pain points or your needs are in your restaurant. It all begins with a complete financial system. We teach you what the critical numbers are. Even if you hate the math, we have audio tutorials and completely automated turnkey spreadsheets that teach you what the numbers are, what they mean, where to find them how to plug them into the spreadsheet, and then what the end result is. So you can now analyze your numbers in just minutes per week. Level one also includes the Profit Maximizer video that gives you three ways of maximizing profits in your restaurant. Level two is our Sales Stars staff development and training system. It helps you build what I call your dream team staff. There's lots of best practices there, as well as a four-module series that teaches the basics of hospitality, what your customers are looking for, teaches your staff not just to deliver amazing dining experiences, but to sell. It teaches key uh, lessons in salesmanship and how your staff can educate, inform, and entertain your customers, which delivers a better dining experience and also increases your check average. You know, level two has been proven to double and even triple check averages. And finally, you can get the entire academy system. Maybe you're a veteran operator who's been, you know, operating for years, spinning your wheels, wondering why you're just not making any money. Or maybe you're a chef who's always worked for someone else who wants to put his name on the door or her name on the door. But you suddenly realize that it's not just about putting out pretty food. It's also about marketing and staffing and human resources and insurance and all the ins and outs in addition to the financial picture. So, you know, whether you're just starting your very first restaurant and you need to know everything to open your doors and then run it profitably, or you're a veteran operator just looking for new sources of profits, you'll find it all in the Academy. So please check out restaurantrockstars.com and check out the Academy. Finally, we really appreciate your listening. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes. It'll help other managers and owners and GMs and people in the business find us. Thanks again. And if you have a suggestion on any topic you'd like to hear about, drop me an email, roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. And I'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.